We're going to be uh, continuing our, our season of Advent here with our Advent week two. It's going to be Romans chapter five is where we're going to be. So Romans five, we're going to begin in chapter one. Today, week two of Advent is, is peace. And so that's the theme of today is going to, be, going to be peace. So Romans five, if you have your Bible with you, open up. If not, you can listen along. We're going to begin in Romans five, verse one. It says this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Romans 5 is is an amazing passage of Scripture. It's all great, but Romans 5 is one of those that is is deep. Uh, We could spend hours, I won't, but we could spend hours talking about this section. It's okay, don't worry. Uh, And this section is a beautiful section to read through in a a Bible study where you can get into the the details of it. But it begins with, with us being justified. Now, my professor, Dr. Beckman, taught us the simple explanation for justification. It's a very simple explanation. Justification is far deeper uh, and has much more meaning than this. Is is to think of, when you think of the word justified, think of just as if I'd never sinned. Now, the theme of justification is, is a far more complex idea than just that. But the idea is that we're the ones who made the mistake, and yet it's as if we had never ever made the mistake, right? We're the ones who sinned. We're the ones who fell short, and yet God makes it so as if we had not sinned. We had not fallen short, right? We've been justified. We've been made new. We've been made clean again. So Paul says, since we've been justified through faith, through our belief, right? Because of that, we have peace with God. Peace, of course, is the theme of, of today. It's, it's the second week of Advent is peace. Now, the Bible's idea of peace is much more than what we culturally believe peace to be, right? When we think of peace, what do you think of? Normally we think of the absence of conflict. If we're at peace country-wise with another country, it means we're not fighting, right? We're not going to go to war with them. We often think of peace as, as simply the absence of conflict. The idea of peace in the Bible is far greater than just the absence of conflict. Peace, the idea of peace, it actually shares its root word with the word for perfect. When you think of peace, you think of the Jewish idea of peace and then the Christian idea of peace, it is, it's on those lines of being complete or being whole. When I think of peace, I think of being put kind of back together. And so when we're at peace with God, isn't that we're just not at conflict? Now, when we're apart from God, we certainly are at conflict with Him. But it's more than that. There's more to the idea of peace than just the absence of conflict. We are whole again. And if you think about that, and think about that definition of peace in the context of this section, it makes even more sense. We've been justified. We've been made right, not, not by anything we did, but simply by putting our faith in this God. And because of that, we are now at peace. We are, at a, at a, as you're going to see, the relationship that was torn apart by sin is being sewed back together, being brought back together. Go to verse 2. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace... The definition of grace, of course, is unearned, undeserved kindness. 
right? Grace is something that cannot be earned and it is not deserved. If it were so, if it wasn't that, it wouldn't be grace. Something we have not earned and we do not deserve, and yet because of God's goodness for us, He grants it to us. We've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Notice that Paul says we don't boast in our own hope, we don't boast in our own glory, we're, we're boasting in the glory and the hope that is found in God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Now this part is the hard part for us. Uh, as, as Americans living in 2018, we'd much rather skip this verse. Uh, we don't, uh, just FYI, we don't do a lot of suffering, just so you know. I mean, we, we certainly suffer with things. Suffering does come our way. You go to the doctor and, you, and, and the, the, the prognosis isn't good. That is suffering, right? You lose the job, that's suffering. But for us today, in, in the grand scheme of world history, we don't do a lot of suffering. We just don't. And so verse 3 gets a little sticky. Because Paul says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering does something to us, doesn't it? It's true. Paul's going to tell us what that suffering does, but I want you to stop and think for a minute of when in your life you had the most personal growth. When did you grow as a human being the most? When did you grow closer to God the most throughout your life? And most of the time, we tend to grow the most personally and in our relationship with God when everything hits the fan, don't we? When things don't go our way is when we tend to tend to learn the most. When things are going our way, it's like, well, let's just keep this going as long as we possibly can. And we're not trying to improve or get better. And so we get complacent. We get stagnant. And oftentimes, speaking on my my own behalf, my most times of growth have been when I've felt the most uncomfortable. And Paul says that that's absolutely true. He says, We glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character gives us hope. Man, is that true. And that's what I'm most afraid of for myself and my children and for all of us as we live in a country that is probably the wealthiest country the world's ever known. Is sometimes we need to just suffer a little bit, don't we? We don't look forward to it. We don't love it. We want to get through it as fast as we possibly can, but suffering does something inside of us. If you think about all of the first Christians, the Apostle Paul who's writing this, you think he suffered for this Jesus? Because he absolutely did. Paul's going to lose his head under the Emperor Nero because of this Jesus. The Apostle Peter, church tradition tells us, is crucified upside down. Why? Because of this Jesus. Right? The first Christians knew about suffering. They gave their lives so that you and I could be here today. And so when Paul says this, these words aren't empty. This isn't a theory, right? He's not sitting in a classroom or in an office somewhere pinning these words, thinking, well, this would be great if this happened to you. He lived it. He experienced it. He did it. If there's anything we learn in life, it's we, we always be weary of the person who tells us what we ought to do and has never done it themselves. If you get online, you will find, right now, if you go online, you can find parenting advice from people who have never been a parent. Don't take their advice, okay? They read things in a book. That's great, right? You can read lots of things in books. That's fantastic. I love reading books. The problem is, if you've never done it, 
I don't want your advice. Right? Don't tell me how to climb Mount Everest if you've never climbed Mount Everest. Don't tell me how to parent if you've never parented. And the problem with what we have often online is we have people who have lived in offices most of their lives and who have lots of degrees and who tell us how we ought to live. The problem is they aren't living that way themselves. And so when the Apostle Paul pins these words, he's been there and done that. If you don't believe me, read the book of Acts. The dude, they try to kill him multiple times throughout the book of Acts. They literally try to stone him to death. He gets up, goes to the next town, and a few days later goes back to the town where they just tried killing him. Right? He has no quit inside of him. The only reason they quit throwing stones at him is because they thought he was dead. So when the Apostle Paul tells us that, that perseverance, that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, and character produces hope, he's been there and he's done it. He's walked the walk. He isn't simply talking the talk. And the Apostle Paul tells us in verse 5 that hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul says if you put your hope in this Jesus, you'll never be put to shame for it. And he would know. The Apostle Paul left the life of, of a, a very academic person. Right? The Apostle Paul was very bright. If you read his writings, even to this day, we still struggle with understanding them all because he's, not, he, he's a very intellectual person, very smart. But he also knew how to get his feet and his hands dirty. And the Apostle Paul tells us that our hope, if it's placed in this Jesus, it will never put us to shame. It will never, ever disappoint. He continues in verse 6, 7, and 8 saying this, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Apostle Paul says people will sometimes risk their lives for someone they love or someone they know or someone who's good. Very rarely, though, does that happen. When it happens, we hear the story and we're honored, right? I've been watching, I watched a series on Netflix about the metal, people who have received the Medal of Honor and the stories of their heroism are just above and beyond, right? There's been, I think they said, 40 million people have served in our armed forces. Less than 3,600 people have received the Medal of Honor. It's something that's given out to very few for going above and beyond, right? Their, their, their call of duty. And their stories are awe-inspiring. They give you goosebumps as you listen to them. As they, as they risk their own lives to save the lives of their brothers. The Apostle Paul tells us that those people are, f- are few and far between. And he's right, they are. But Paul tells us that our God is just like those people. In fact, he's the example that those people, I would say, are, are following. Because God demonstrate, it demonstrated his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Those words are, are powerful, powerful words that we read in verse 8. It's one thing for us to risk our lives for someone we love. It's one thing to risk our lives for someone who we believe is risking our, it's worth risking our life for. Our God risks his life for his enemies. For those of us, those of us those that, as we choose to sin, we make ourselves enemies of God. We turn our back on him and he says, I love you so much, I'm going to die for you. And even though your life is, is, is on a trajectory that's taking you further and further away from me, based on your own actions, I love you so much, I'll do anything to get you back that I'm willing to, to give it all for you. 
that's the, the true power in verse 8 is, while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, when we had still turned our back on Him, He's willing to risk everything for us. Apostle Paul continues in verses 9, 10, 11, saying this, Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled, reconciled, being brought back into a proper and right relationship with God, right? That's what reconciliation is, is being brought, brought back into relationship with Him. So if we were, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. God didn't go part way, didn't go three quarters of the way. When it came to the relationship between us and God, as we had placed ourselves as his enemies, God goes all the way, goes the full 100% to bring us back into relationship with him. And the Apostle Paul is now going to shift gears a little bit and tell us how this break in the relationship originally happened in verses 12, 13, and 14. He says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Who's the one man? Who's the first man that chose to depart from God's ways, to to, to choose that chose to turn his back on him? It's Adam. That's the one man, right? So through Adam, sin enters the world. And death is a consequence of sin. That's why death hurts so deeply bad for us when we lose someone we love. is because death was never part of the original plan of God. The plan was Adam and Eve live in the garden, are in relationship with Him, and everything goes well. And then as soon as Adam and Eve chose to go their own way and do their own thing, Death enters the picture. Apostle Paul says this in verse 13, To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift... Is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? You see what Paul's doing? He's placed Adam on this side. He's the man who sin entered the world through. And now he's going to place Jesus on this side and say, We're going to contrast these two. When Adam sinned, what happened? Death entered the world. When Jesus, who lives a sinless and perfect life, is going to offer himself as a sacrifice, he's going to fix the problem that Adam brought into the world. And so he's going to take these two and compare them. Adam on one side, Jesus on the other. Verse 16. Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses, and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one, Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Where Adam's choice brought death, Jesus' choice of death, burial, and resurrection 
brings life. See, the consequence from Adam is sin enters the world and death becomes a part of it. The consequence of Jesus' is sinless, perfect life, offering himself as a sacrifice, his life is given now back to us. It's been restored to us. As you remember the definition of peace, we said, isn't just the absence of conflict. The definition of peace is wholeness or completeness. And do you see what Paul, the, the, the picture Paul is painting with his words here? As Adam caused the divide between us and God, and we all followed suit with, by sinning. The, the, the fabric of our relationship was ripped in two, and what Jesus is doing is bringing that relationship back together. And joining us together as one again. And luckily, the thread that this Jesus uses cannot be torn. Cannot be ripped. Apostle Paul continues in verse 18. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, right? as soon as the sin enters the world, sin becomes a part of the life we have to live. As Adam's trespass, his sin enters, sin now takes a stranglehold on the lives of all of us. Right? So consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. What Adam did has nothing on what this Jesus does. That is Adam's choice brought sin into the world and death with it, Jesus' choice of his obedience to God is going to bring life and life to the fullest with it. Paul concludes this section in verse 20 and 21 by saying this, the law was brought in so the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ. Our Lord. We've all suffered from what Adam brought into the world. We've all felt the pain of sin and of death. But remember that sin and death lose. That through Jesus' obedience and his righteousness, his righteousness is now given to, to us. We put on his righteousness, because ours, the Bible describes it as, as filthy rags. And so through this faith in this Jesus, you and I put on some new clothes that have been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. And now we have real and true peace because of the sacrifice of this Jesus. I want to conclude by reading Luke 2, 13 and 14. It's the Christmas story, and I want you to hear the word peace as it appears here. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom His favor rests. The angels, as they announce the birth of the Savior, know that the Savior is going to bring about something that is great, something that has been that the Jewish people have been expecting expecting, excuse me, and waiting for for thousands of years. And what the Savior is going to bring to us, we saw last week, was what? It's hope. And this week, the Savior brings us, brings us peace. True and lasting peace that has no end. Amen?
Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this Jesus who came to this earth and lived a sinless and perfect life, offering himself as a sacrifice for our sins. And we know, God, that our sins are many. And yet, while we were your enemies, while we were pitted against you, and we had placed ourselves opposite of you, God, you were willing to go all the way, 100%, and offer yourself as a sacrifice for us, laying down your life so that we might live life to its fullest. God, we thank you for your willingness to to give everything on our behalf. Lay it all down for us. And we just want to be faithful in return to you. We ask that your Holy Spirit would guide us and lead us as we try to do the the very best we can to live a life of meaning and purpose in you. God, help us as we leave this place, as we go out into our community, to places of work, to the grocery store, to ball games, wherever we are, to be people who are living our lives in your grace, in your love, in your compassion, in your mercy, living lives that are full of hope and full of peace. God, we thank you for, for putting the pieces of our lives back together, for stitching us back into this relationship with you, God. It's the only place that we want to be. We thank you and we love you and we pray all this in the powerful and healing name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.